1: This episode of Burnt Toast is brought to you by our friends at Panera Bread, who are out to make breakfast the way it should be made, with some respect. Try their new bacon, egg, and cheese on brioche, Panera, food as it should be. Welcome back to Food 52's Burnt Toast Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkell.
2: calling the french laundry all of our reservations including those in our private dining room and in the boardroom are available exclusively on our website we release two months of reservations two months in advance on the first day of every odd numbered month at 10 a.m Pacific standard time thank you for calling 11 madison park please note all reservations are exclusively booked online on our website
1: 11madisonpark.com
3: thank you for calling black tap soho We do not take reservations.
1: Ever waited in line for a bite of one of those craveable foods, like the cronut or black tap milkshakes or even Franklin barbecue, and wondered, was it worth it? Maybe you waited for a table at the trendiest restaurant in town. You know, there are certain food experiences that just inspire us to line up and wait. So what makes for these culty bites? Whether it's a table at Rayo's, a southern Italian restaurant in East Harlem, that started in the end of the 1800s, which is so exclusive that I know generations of family whose children's children have been waiting to get in there for a hundred years. We're leveraging jet lag to brave the no-reservation policy at Sushi Dai in Tokyo. If you're one of those people willing to wait, you're not alone. We'll share stories in line or is it online along with ways to bide your time while waiting to get in the door? Let's start by getting on cue for the most democratic food of all, pizza.
4: Well, if you're the first person it takes fifteen minutes, and if you're the fortieth person it's ready at ten thirty. So that would be about five hours later.
1: Joe Betty is that thing of legend. Uh, Neil Iolo, whose claim to fame happened after Bon Appetit magazine, named Pizzeria Bettia in Philadelphia's Fishtown the best pizza in America. Orders are in-person only, people start lining up as early as 2pm, a good three and a half hours before they open, and there are only 40 pies a night.
4: So, for me, I want to take my time, you know, have a lot of attention to detail and do it in my own way and what I think is the right way. And, th- you know, that that obviously it takes time. I'm I'm by myself.
1: Though Pizzeria Badia, in its original form, is closing, its new iteration is opening later this year, and it's going to be bigger and hopefully more accessible to the masses. Part of the charm was accomplishing the feat, becoming part of this exclusive club that has experienced the Badia pizza. But I had to ask Joe, were there
4: any ways to hack the line? The biggest thing would be people paying other people to wait. That happens Semi-regularly, which I don't particularly care for, unless you're like my Aunt Nina or something, I won't make her wait. But, you know, she's only been into the pizza shop two or three times over five years. So people seem to enjoy the experience, the sort of social experience of of coming and waiting. Some people bring like a beer or something and, and hang out and you're like talking to the person next to you in line.
1: I wanted to get an insider's look into the Church of Pizza heard the gospel. Heck, I've rejoiced in many of the slices, but Scott Wiener, owner and operator of Scott's Pizza
5: Tours, has made it his job. Well, so we're at Grimaldi's at One Front Street in Brooklyn, one of 40 locations of Grimaldi's around the United States, but uh, essentially, more or less the original location. This is a huge part of pizza history in New York City. Grimaldi's opens in 1990 at 19 Old Fulton Street. It sells in 1998. The buyer moved it in 2012 to the current location, 1 Front Street, at which point Patsy Grimaldi emerges from retirement, opens Juliana's in 19 Old Fulton Street, the original spot. And now you have a line that has moved from 19 Old Fulton to 1 Front Street following Grimaldi's. And then the attempt to rescue that line back by advertising in the window, we have the real guy named Grimaldi here. Then, I want to say it was 2015 maybe, TripAdvisor names Juliana's the number one pizzeria in the country. The line shifts from spot on one front street back to 19 Old Fulton Street. At which point, Lutzos BK realizes that there are a lot of people around here just looking for pizza. So they rent the tiny 20-foot wide parking lot in between the two buildings, 19 Old Fulton Street and one front street put a little wood-fired oven there and start selling pizzas directly in the middle, even though there's already another pizzeria around the corner called Ignazio's, which does square pizzas. So you have anywhere from one to four pizzerias on this one side of one block over the course of 15 years. I've always wondered about how
1: multiple lines, not just confuse, but conflate the idea of waiting. like. I'm going to go to the place that has longer line because it's better or I'm going to go to the place that has shorter line because I want to eat
5: now. Well, I think the name Grimaldi's is the more famous one. It's older. And people will see if, if the line is not that much longer, it probably will wait here. But at first, some of the people were saying, well, there's no line over here. Let's go over here. Not realizing that what they were going to eat was maybe not the same exact pizza, potentially even more pure more close to its original element, potentially. There must be some kind of equation,
1: this inverse relationship to how long you wait and how long it takes to not only
5: have the pie arrive, but, you know, consume it. I think it depends. I think that there is definitely an equation, but there's like a, there's an edge. And when you go over that, past that edge, maybe it's from 40 to 45 minutes, then you get decreasing returns.
1: Hot dogs are similar to pizza in that they're approachable. A perfect combination of salt, fat, and meat in one tasty, ready-to-eat package. Growing up in Chicago, Doug San was surrounded by hot dog culture, a city in which, at one point in time, had more hot dog stands than McDonald's, Burger King's, and Wendy's combined. It wasn't until 2001 when Hot Dugs elevated the hot dog to its rightful status, among the pantheon of encased meats. What defines a Chicago-style dog?
3: So for me, it's a classic. The key things are all beef, and that comes from Chicago, the stockyards and so forth. But the natural casing, I think, is incredibly important. And a lot of people don't do that anymore because it's cheaper not to and more uniform not to. And it's a steamed poppy seed hot dog bun. It's yellow mustard, chopped onions this neon green sweet relish, tomatoes, dill pickle, and celery salt with uh, sport peppers, these little um, uh, Mexican pickled hot peppers uh, as optional.
1: I like how you call an eight ingredient hot dog basic, but you've done it correctly and you've started a line. You've started a movement for better hot dogs. And why is it that people are, you know, willing to walk up to a streetcar in New York, grab a hot dog and go, but they're willing to stand online for however many minutes, up to an hour, just to get one of yours? Did you ever go out and converse with people while they were waiting and ask where they had come from or what made them want a hot dog that day?
3: I did not because I was at the counter and I took every order. So if I did do that, then that line stopped. And it was also kind of psychologically helpful that I could only see to the door. So like that whole line down the block for me didn't ex- actually exist. Otherwise, it would be much too you know, I wouldn't get through the day. So when people say, oh, there's a long line, I was like, nope, it just goes, to, that's as far as I can see it. It goes to the door.
1: Though Doug close up shop A few years ago, internationally people talk about hot dogs like it's still there, whether as a wanted memory or a precious hope that someday, Doug-san will return to his hot dog kingdom. With over 100 locations nationally and 60 internationally in places like Dubai, London, Moscow, and Tokyo, Shake Shack has been griddling burgers for over a decade. What was once a freestanding art installation in New York City's Madison Square Park has now become a worldwide phenomenon. Mark Rosati is the culinary director of Shake Shack and remembers the early days of serving nothing but lemonade and hot dogs.
0: We started out as part of an art installation in Madison Park. It was helped to regenerate the park. Danny Meyer, the founder of Shake Shack, had also owned two restaurants across the street from Madison Park, 11 Madison Park, and also a restaurant called Tabla which was a French, Indian, and American all mixed together. I and mean, then when he opened those two restaurants, he was looking out the park going, you know what, I have this great food, this great hospitality, but my guests are going to be looking at this really bad park. And that's what kind of inspired him to join the Conservancy Fund and help revitalize. And their, their whole vision was, why don't we have more art installations in the park to give people a reason to rediscover it and use it? The first artist they had, he wanted to do a homage to New York City with uh, taxi cabs and also hot dog carts. So he reached out to Danny. and says, you get these two restaurants, you're right across the park. Would you possibly run a hot dog cart as part of my art installation? That's how it all started. New Yorkers
1: are notorious for hustling and bustling all the time. And the fact that they're literally willing to stop and smell the roses in Madison Square Park for Burger Al Fresco, said something about the human condition and our need for comfort and companionship while waiting.
0: I used to work at uh, one of our other restaurants, Gramercy Tavern, and when Shake Shack opened, I would go to work early to get in that big line in the summertime and to get my burger. And I would run into work and I would eat it. My friends would be like, oh, can I get a fry? I'm like, no way, man. I wait an hour for this. You go, and get you wait in line, you get your own burger. I had guests start to chat, exchange numbers, go on dates. And then the next thing you know, they're getting married, and they've asked us to cater their weddings. And they all met in that line.
1: Imagine those vows full of promise and patience. Though lines and wait times vary per location, it's interesting to see how people are willing to go the extra mile for what they want.
0: I'll never forget us opening two years ago in the summer in Seoul the line was six hours long. We actually did a time-lapse video from where it started, and uh, the police had actually lined it around a couple of different blocks, kind of snaking in and out. It was a maze. We could not figure out where the line was going, and someone's like, no, 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 it stops on this street. There's a guy stopping people there, and then it goes up that alley, and then down this block and into this building. It's like, whoa. Whoa.
1: Let's get into the mind of a line waiter. Ayelette Fishbach is a professor of behavioral science at the University of Chicago's Booth School of Business. And she's made it her business to understand the psychology and motivation behind our decision making. Food choices are special, and why is a complex question. It's often determined by what you're listening to your brain or your stomach. First,
6: just
7: seeing a line, okay, seeing that the place required was waiting is a signal that. This must be good. The other people are willing to invest resources, invest their time in in trying to get it. But beyond that, signal just from the fact that there is a line, standing in line makes you appreciate what you are waiting for more.
1: I've long wondered if it's the length of the line or shape that makes one form an opinion about it, straight as an arrow for blocks and blocks, curving around corridors or subsects partitioned by ropes and checkpoints.
7: The idea about uh, uh, curving and and multiple lines is that you often don't uh, get discouraged by the length of the line. Uh, When you join a line, you don't know how much time it will take. Uh, um, uh, uh, If it's curving, then it feels uh, shorter, which is uh, often the reason that the provider of the service prefers to, uh, uh, to stage this way. Um, in terms of their experience, what we find is that it makes people feel good when they are aware that there are people behind them. I guess the, the, the message of our research is that uh, that waiting is is good for you. It's it's not uh, no, it's not waiting to get medical treatment. It's not waiting when you are starving. Uh, it's the kind of a, a healthy waiting where you learn to appreciate what you do. You learn to appreciate. You learn to appreciate the experience. You learn to be the person who's who's waiting, who's patient, and we know that uh, patience is associated with like, a bunch of positive outcomes for people.
1: Think of it as an inline mantra: that instant gratification isn't all that gratifying. But what if we don't even have the time to stand in line in the first place? When we return, we talk about people who stand in line professionally, how to avoid those touristy lines during travel, and who is patiently waiting for your call for that elusive reservation. We'll be right back. You're listening to Burnt Toast, and this episode is brought to you by Panera Bread. They're on a mission to bring a little respect back to your breakfast. Panera knows mornings can be rushed, but that doesn't mean you have to settle for anything less than something good, clean, and handcrafted. Their new breakfast sandwich, the Bacon, Egg, and Cheese on Brioche, is made with care, from ingredients like freshly baked brioche, an over-easy egg, real Vermont white cheddar, and thick-cut bacon. And when it's handcrafted, you get options, like how you want your eggs— If you want to add one of their new sauces, or even switch up the bread choice, Panera believes that food should taste good, no matter what meal you're eating. Breakfast is how you'll start your day. Why not start it on the right foot? Thanks again for tuning in to Burnt Toast. Aaron Franklin is the pitmaster behind some of the country's most sought-after smoked brisket, which alone has made the modern-day barbecue scene in Austin, Texas a mecca of meat. There's a five-hour long line on a regular Saturday at Franklin Barbecue, looping the parking lot since the day they opened eight years ago. If you think about it, that isn't that bad for something that takes 44 hours to trim, season, cook, and serve. I wish I had the time to go to Austin and take my turn in line in hopes of delivering even a few choice words from Aaron in person. But thankfully, there's TaskRabbit. An online and mobile marketplace allowing consumers to find immediate help with everyday tasks, including cleaning, moving, delivery, handyman work, and brisket procurement. Amelia McLear is Director of Communications and Public Affairs at TaskRabbit and has seen her fair share of food retrieval, over 5,000 requests during the last two years alone.
8: I think the skill in waiting is being able to have the patience for it. And then to be able to know, okay, if I have to wait in line for a reservation, I I need to make sure that I'm on time, that I actually get the reservation that the client is looking for in terms of the right time, uh, the right name.
1: Do you do a survey of your task rabbiters or whatever you call them and ask, are you punctual? Are you patient? I mean, what, what are you looking for in a person that can do that?
8: So when a tasker identifies themselves as being able to fulfill a waiting in line request, they'll provide a description for the client to read. And other clients will have gone in and rated this tasker in terms of quality, punctuality, did the job get completed? And so clients can see other reviews on this particular tasker when it comes to the waiting in line category. We definitely see these requests more in our uh, urban markets. The hot restaurants in San Francisco, um, Nopa for brunch, Plow um, for brunch, State Bird Provisions. Um, In New York, we see things like um, Dominique Ansel, Cronut. Quite a few requests for different breweries in Brooklyn to, to stand in line for special beer releases. And then in L.A., there was a bunch of requests around fried chicken at Howland Ray's, which if you check out Howlin' Ray's on Twitter, they actually post how long the wait will be for their chicken.
1: Some people still prefer the adventure, but it does take some planning. Dan Castellano works in tech in Tokyo. For the past 20 years, he's lived near Skiji Market. Known for its early morning tuna auctions and being the city's largest hub for fresh fish, it's also home to the legendary sushi dai, whose vicinity in the outer market gives the restaurant direct access to some of the best seafood in Japan. But you better make that first train if you want some.
6: You know, I, I live on the Hibiya Line, so every once in a while, my eyes will open at around you know four in the morning, and uh, I'll say, "All right, well, uh, might as well make a, a morning of it and head off to Tsukiji." Problem is, you wait for the first train to get off to uh, sushi dai and that, that'll place you there at about 5.30, which, from my experience, means you're looking at about a, a five- to six-hour wait. So I, I figured I'd beat the system and maybe trick everyone and get there a little bit early. Woke up at 3, got there about 3.30, and it was still a five-hour wait. <laughs> I said, look, I, I've just got to do this. Brought some extra phone batteries, and yeah, just went for it. Five hours later uh had a meal. It was fabulous. You know, standing
1: online for that long, uh, how did you occupy yourself and did you make any friends?
6: One of the nice things about sushi dai actually is that they they hold seatings as opposed to just kind of bringing people in on a rolling basis. So you actually wait for your your sitting with everybody and you go in there kind of as a team. And you're eating at the same time, and you end up talking with each other about what you're eating. You know, it's kind of a communal effort there. And and, and it's kind of interesting because you have people coming from all around the world to have these meals. But yeah, I had a great time, although I was pretty exhausted by the time it was done.
1: I don't know anyone more well-traveled for food than Mitchell Davis, the vice president of the James Beard Foundation. He's a seasoned gastro-tourist. Well, he's more than that. He's a gastro-travel agent to many while on the road, or even in their home city. Somehow, Mitchell seems to know the ins and outs of what's worth waiting for.
9: Blue Bottle in San Francisco at the Mid Plaza for their amazing breakfast. Plow in San Francisco for breakfast. Maybe I eat a lot of breakfast in San Francisco. (laughs) I'm up early. Swan Oyster Depot in San Francisco. Oh my God, I always wait online. You try to get there before eleven, but there's always a long line by the time you get there. Uh La for Macaroons in New York. And oh, I haven't done this in a while, but when Otofuco first opened in New York, they had takoyaki, the little octopus balls, and you used to have to wait forever to get them. Balthazar, of course, used to be a long wait to get there, always worth it. Defaras for pizza. Interminable, but I've made friends on that line. Totono's, also in New York. Pizza seems to require waiting. Lost Kitchen in Maine. I'm still waiting. I haven't been able to get a reservation. I've called and called and called and called. I think it's much easier to wait for something when you're not in your hometown, because in your hometown, you have to think about laundry and the kids and what you should be doing, all your work. And when you're traveling, you have time. Suddenly, three hours is available in a way that in New York, it's much harder where I live. So it doesn't have to be overseas, but well, unless now that come to think of it overseas, there's also the jet lag. Thing that allows you to get up uh, at four in the morning and go get online for ramen when they open at seven in the Tokyo station. And so so that part works in your favor when you're traveling too. Are
1: tourists more willing to wait than locals or other cities like Paris as patient as Tokyo? Um, why are you willing to wait for those places like Les Comptoirs, Pierre Hermé, Robuchon? And do you see any other Parisians waiting with you?
9: Les Comptoirs is the... Is the I think the classic, let's wait in line. The line starts forming at 11.30, they open at noon, they only have six tables, French people love it, foreigners love it, I I don't know how else you get there. It's a funny thing, it's also in a nice little Place de L'Odéon, I I don't know, why does anyone wait for anything? It seems funny to me, (laughs) it seems almost like the waiting is part of the experience that makes the whole thing taste better in some way
1: but once you get in there you kind of forget that you did
9: i agree 100 percent. you forget you did it they, the warmth of the places make it totally worth it most places you wait for actually don't proffer long experiences or the waits would be totally interminable so you're kind of in and out i mean sushi Dai is the perfect example of that in tokyo even le comptoir though you can lounge they don't rush you which is the other reason you're waiting and that's another reason you love it
1: It took me a couple of weeks to schedule a call with Erin French. She's the pioneer behind the Lost Kitchen in Freedom, Maine, and every April 1st, they open up their reservation lines. By the end of that day, they're booked for the year. Hello? Hi, Erin. It's Michael from Burnt Toast.
2: Hi, Michael. How are
1: you? (laughs) Good, good. How would you have answered if I was calling for a reservation at Lost Kitchen?
2: I would have said, I'm sorry, who is this? (laughs) You have the wrong number.
1: (laughs) I will not give out this personal number, I promise.
2: Thankfully, whenever I'm at the mill, there's no cell reception, so none of our phones ring out there. It's the only phone that rings, and we've shut the ringer off.
1: (laughs) So what came first, the intention of not being able to answer or just not being able to answer?
2: Just not being able to answer. Oh, my gosh. No, it's, you know, it's just, it's become a progressively crazy thing, and um, you know, I was thinking back, it's like, we've been using this reservation system, It's just like, I started this restaurant as a supper club nearly what this would be eight years ago coming up this winter. And it was always a pretty simplistic way to get reservations. I was always, you know, it was just a small run business. And we were just a few ladies and we'd answer the phone. And that's the only way you got through because we didn't have a website and or anything fancy. And, it just progressively each year got a little more insane, a little more insane, and then it used to be like we would just have the phone off, um, you know, in the winter time, just so we could hibernate, and it was just like, okay, just call us in the spring because we're taking a little time off, and then April first kind of became a whole new thing. We said, okay, call in April, and that meant April first, and then April first became midnight on April first to some people. So then it became competitively, April 1st. So the first day of calls, I was up for 28 hours straight. And, you know, at some point it's just like you're stumbling on your words and you have to go to bed and you have to eat. <laughs> so.
1: The Lost Kitchen recently changed its reservation protocols and policies in hopes of accommodating more people per year without compromising the quality. They're going to use snail mail this year. So if you want a table, you must send a 3 by 5 note card in an envelope to be collected from April 1st to April 10th they'll be selecting cards on April 11th at random. So, if your card is selected, you'll receive a phone call this year to coordinate your reservation personally.
2: You know, there are people who have been following us for 7 years and the last thing you want to do is like say, "See ya, thanks a lot. We're just going to sail off into the sunset with fame and fortune right now." And so we made sure that when we saw what was happening, we went through and we called our regulars and said, "I don't know if you know what's going on out here, but let's get, you know, let's get you on the books now
1: because you know, this is like,
2: this is crazy. And the last thing you want to do is shun the people who, who have been believing in you for so many years.
1: Good things come to those who wait. It was part of an advertising campaign for Heinz Ketchup in the 80s, and I still believe it. I've been on a wait list for Damon Barrels' eponymous restaurant in Earlton, New York, in the upper Hudson Valley, since 2014. It's one of the hardest reservations to get in the world, boasting upwards of a 10-year wait for a table. But it was actually called out as a hoax by a New Yorker profile a couple years ago of an autodidact living in the woods spinning yarns of this fanciful feast that rarely anyone gets to see. Yet still people email and wait in hopes of busting that myth or maybe, just maybe, becoming part of the folklore. It's really a question of what's it worth to you? Thank you to Food 52, my co-producer Jordan Werner, and Nick Radd, Michael Comete, and John Lawler at HeadGum for recording. Music by Joshua Rural Dobson. Episode 4 of Food 52's Burnt Toast is bubbling away. Literally. From blowing bubbles in our milk to bubbles in our chewing gum, why do these gas-filled spheres fill our hearts with such joy and wonder? Hear stories of luxurious effervescence as we crack a can of sparkling water. Pop a bottle of champagne and uncap some wild fermentation. It's going to be poppin'.